Ask Wildman, the weekly show from full-service digital agency Wildman Web Solutions, is ready to answer all of your questions about marketing, tech, and sales to grow your small business. Each week, the Wildman Web Solutions team tackles your questions and trending topics live. Learn strategies and tactics to take your small business to big revenue. The Ask Wildman show starts now. Good morning and welcome to Ask Wildman. My name is Miles Bassett. I'm the CEO and founder here at Wildman Web Solutions. We are a digital marketing agency based in Lawrence, Kansas. And this year we decided to start a weekly live stream, streaming live to our Facebook page and YouTube channel to answer any and all questions put to us. Uh, we were getting a bunch of questions, especially um, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic of small businesses either getting online for the first time or finding themselves in a place where they had to leverage their online presence a bit more than maybe they were used to. Uh, so we decided to go live and just do an open Q&A to anyone and everyone who wanted to ask questions of professional digital marketers um, and get some answers. So here we are to answer your questions. If you have any questions about technology, business, marketing, just want to ask us how our day is going through those questions in the comments below. Um, and we are streaming to Facebook and YouTube and hopefully going to do some more platforms here in the upcoming weeks. We'll see how that goes. In the meantime, uh, catch us on those platforms. And if you're not catching this live, you're watching this later, you can still get in on that action by emailing us your questions at askwildman at wildmanweb.com. And we'll address your questions in next week's show as we do this every week, Wednesdays at 11. I see we're already getting some people jumping in the comments here. Good morning, Jeff. Good to see you. If you have any questions, please follow his example and throw those questions in the comments below. Also, if you think what we're putting out here is useful, we're providing good, valuable information, um, please give us a like, share, follow, subscribe. Depending on what platform you're on, you know what to do. That helps us to reach more people, answer more questions, and be more of a resource. I keep saying we because... Here in this show, I am joined by my partner, Mike. He should be joining in three, two, one. There is Mike. Hello. Good morning, Miles. How in the heck are you doing on this bright, shiny morning? I'm cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that at least your pipes aren't frozen over there. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's going to pass. But, uh, yeah, it's a little, it's a little nipply outside. It is a bit, yeah. The Midwest has been in a, a bit of a bit of a state these last couple of days. I'm not enjoying it. We've been lucky enough to keep uh, keep power over here, um, but I mean, as far as I can see, two thirds, if not three fourths, of the town has lost electricity at some point over the last 48 hours. Uh, it's a it's a crazy time. Yes, indeed, and you know, just I guess maybe just one reason why you. Uh... You still need a, some sort of a backup, you know, <laughs> you can't be 100% digital. Uh, you still have to have some sort of backup in case, uh, in case your store loses power. So, uh, oh, I know, just that's... got my dogs on a treadmill, put a treat in front of them, powers the computer, we're good to go. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, just I guess I guess if anything, this proves that cash is still uh, still needed sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Always good to have alternatives, backups. 
All right. So like I was saying here, this is an open Q&A to anyone and everyone who wants to ask us questions. We are digital marketers. I'm kind of the tech side of the house. Mike is the marketing and sales side. So if you have any questions on technology, uh, marketing, advertising, business in general, go ahead and throw those in the comments and we will do our best to address those. Um, I think we've got a couple in the hopper here while we let these come in on in the comments. Just coming into the email, like I said, if you are catching this later um, or if you just think of something later, feel free to email us at askwildman at wildmanweb.com um, and we will get those questions there. Okay, we hit on a couple of points last week on um, just usability and conversion on websites. Uh, Mike, I think you had some questions on on your side you wanted us to address. Yeah, I think, I think you know, just if I could boil down these questions into kind of just one general, generalized question, it would be, you know, what do, what do business owners need to know that they typically don't know when they think about their website and how it's performing and how it's bringing in their customers, how it's retaining their customers, how it's converting their customers. You know, it, sometimes, you know, I overuse this phrase, but, you know, the old, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and I feel like a lot of small businesses, they, they think, well, my website works, you know, it's up, <laughs> um, hasn't broken lately, you know, and, and so it's, it's getting the job done and they really don't know certain things to look for, uh, to really qualify if it is up to par, uh, you know, they, they may just assume, well, I paid a lot for it. And so it, it's a good website. And so without getting, you know, super, super techie, you know, keep this on a, on a normie level here. Okay. For us normies, but what could, what can we look for? How can we evaluate if my website really is up to par or not and doing its job? Well, I feel like I, uh, I harp on this a lot on this show, but metrics measuring everything in analytics is where you have to start. Um, and that, that comes in a couple of forms. So first of all, easiest thing to do is to set up Google analytics. Um, that is, it's, it's super easy. Sign up for an account. Uh, you copy and paste a little tag or a Google Analytics script onto your website. If you don't know how to do that, have your web developer do that or you know, send us a DM. We'll help you out with it. Um, that'll just give you some basic usage statistics about how people are using your website. Um, things like your bounce rate. So that's people going to your website and immediately leaving because um, it didn't load or they clicked on it accidentally or whatever. Um, how many people are actually landing on your site and staying there? How many pages they're looking at? How long they're looking at each page? So you just get some basic data there about how people are actually engaging with your website. So that's the first easiest thing to do. Sort of harder thing to do and a little bit more subjective is just to test it on a lot of different browsers and platforms. So um, if you have a phone, pull it up on your own phone. If you have a couple of different devices, a smaller laptop maybe, or a, a tablet or an iPad, pull it up on that and just kind of go through, click on everything, see, see how things work. You'll be surprised at how much you can discover just by doing that. And then more than that, have your friends and family do it. In fact, what I, I tell people to do is find your least technically capable family member. Um, have your grandma do this, have your whatever, whoever is just completely technically illiterate and have them go on your website and check it out. Um, because if anyone's going to break it, it's going to be them. They're going to find the thing that doesn't make sense. It seems to make perfect sense to you, but 
as soon as you put it in someone else's hands, someone who doesn't understand the site, someone who doesn't understand the business or just how your brain works, um, they're going to start finding issues all over the place. So tech side of analytics, that's just start off with at least Google Analytics, if not, not something a little bit more comprehensive. And then the the real human side of things, the human element, you got to throw in there. That's got to be at least you testing everything on every device that you have, if not co-opting all of your friends and family and having them look at this. Um, but this does kind of go into a conversation that I was I was wanting to have here. Um, and this is kind of a sneak pre preview of an article I'm putting together for the website. And if you haven't checked it out already, we have a blog section on our website, wildmailweb.com slash blog. Um, it's just a bunch of articles that's this kind of information, not too deep a dive or anything, and just goes into that shallow level of introductory, here's what you need to know on some of these things. So I'm putting this together on UI UX. That stands for user interface and user experience. Um, when you're designing a website, it's not like other forms of design where you're just trying to make something look good. Of course, that's part of the goal. You want this thing to look good. Um, but it also has to be functional. That design has to have a purpose. So it's not just like creating a piece of art where people are going to look at it just to look at it, just to enjoy the beauty of it. Um, it's not even something like graphic design. You know, When you're creating a logo, you're creating that with a, a function. You want people to look at that logo and instantly know and understand the brand of that business. So there is a function there, but Websites take it one step further where you, first of all, you have to hit all of those levels. You have to make it look aesthetically pleasing. You have to have it represent the brand. And then it has to actually do something. When people are going to a website, they're doing, they're going there to do something. That's maybe to contact you, to buy your products, to schedule a meeting with you, whatever it is, they're going there to do something. Um, so you have to design or put into the design the interface or the user experience and understand how someone is going to interact with this site. And there are a couple of things that I'm, I'm putting together in this article that are kind of overlooked problems. Um, first point is responsiveness. Responsiveness is just um, the fact that your website will actually change formatting depending on the size of screen that it's on. So whether you're looking at a wide desktop like I am right now or a tiny little smartphone, it will actually change and rearrange itself, altering its formatting and look completely different depending on the size of screen that you're, um, that you're viewing the site on. So I've talked about that a uh, hundred times on the show before, depending on what study you're looking at, something like 60 to 80% of internet browsing is now done on mobile devices or um, tablets or something like that, where if you do not have a mobile responsive website, you are losing out on a huge chunk of the market there and frustrating a lot of people. Um, but there are some things that people aren't necessarily looking at in terms of responsiveness. You think that because you pull up your website on your phone and it looks basically fine, you know, things aren't overflowing on the sides, you can see all the text, that you're good to go. But there are some um, things that work differently and actually function differently on a phone, something like a form. Have you ever gone to a website and clicked on a um, on a field? You're inputting your uh, information. You know, you type your name, you type your email, and then you click on the phone number, and it immediately pulls up the numeric keypad on your phone. That is a setting in the form. 
that anyone can do. Um, it's present on almost every form builder, every website builder, and it just keeps that person from having to click on the phone um, input field and then switch from their text-based keyboard to their numeric keyboard. Everything that every time that you can remove a point of uh, of friction like that, one thing that that person has to do, you are going to increase your conversions. Uh, Mike and I, you know, we've talked about this before on just putting forms on your uh, website. If you're looking to convert someone, you have to minimize the number of input fields. The first two to three are fairly inconsequential, but once you go past that, every input field you put on there reduces your overall conversion rate by two thirds. So that fourth input field that you put on there, you're down to a third of your total audience. That fifth input field you put on there, you're down to a third of a third of your total audience converting on that. That's just on average. So it's going to be different from industry to industry before someone calls me out on that. But the same is true with mobile responsiveness. Little things like that, where you think about how someone interacts with a website on their phone versus how someone interacts with a website on their desktop. Um, will allow you to create a better user experience and remove those points of friction and maintain that audience that you already have there and increase your conversion rates. So that's kind of the point I wanted to make on responsiveness. Before I move on to the next point, Mike, did you have anything you wanted to jump in there on, on just, just mobile usage and websites? Yeah, I, I think that was all really, really important, Miles, especially that last point. Um, you know, about, you know, as we talk about, you know, it seems like a lot on the show, but it's a really important theme, just removing uh, all the hoops and obstacles, uh, and, you know, in order to somebody has to do to give you money. Uh, otherwise, as you just said, you know, creating less friction. And, uh, and that's, that's something that I think even a layman, you know, like myself, we, we can go onto a website and we can see those extra layers that shouldn't be there. Uh, that, you know, you just, it, it's, it's, it's not really helping you if you want volume. Now, the, 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 the contrarian point I'll make to that is every once in a while, you know, you actually do want to put some more uh, hoops people to jump through if your goal is less volume, higher quality lead. And I actually had this with a client uh, just the other day. Uh, our, I'm not going to, this is going to sound like I'm bragging. I guess I am, but my granddaddy said, you know, if, if you've done it, it ain't bragging, but you know, we've, we've, we've built up their calendar so much through our, through our marketing and our advertising that they are getting more and more leads and they can really handle at this point. And so now the goal is as we're fine tuning this campaign forward is to actually reduce the number of leads and put more barriers up. And so we get, you know, the real choice, choice kind of a client that they're looking for. And so they don't spend as much time uh, with some of their secondary, you know, B and C uh, perspective clients. And so, so that, you know, it, it can work both ways, but 90% of businesses have the other problem where they need more people coming in uh, down through that funnel and, and not less. But, and just miles before you go on one other quick thing uh, I wanted you to expand on a little bit uh, Google AdWords, you know, what are some of the key metrics? Cause I think a lot of people get overwhelmed when they start diving into Google analytics. Uh, what are some of the key metrics that you look for that you would say, you know, a, the average business owner should look for, uh, and then maybe talk about like some tools that we use, like, like heat maps and things like that. So you can really understand more about what's happening on your website, uh, as you move forward. Yeah. And just to go back to your previous point, absolutely. We're not looking for, 
absolute maximum conversion on every form we ever put on a website. Sometimes for specific business reasons, you need to collect certain points of information. And so, of course, you have to put those things on there. But if you're looking for someone to convert as soon as they hit there, you're looking for maximal conversions, then yeah, we want to try to remove those points of friction and have fewer input fields, just as, as little as possible. So to your second question there, um, like I said, Google Analytics is just the very beginning. That'll give you some basic usage statistics about your website traffic, um, which is very useful if you know what you're looking at, because there's a lot of data there, especially if you have a, tra a, a high traffic website. Um, there's just going to be massive amounts of data um, that, you know, 90% of it's not going to be useful for you. So um, overall, tip number one, I would say look long term. Do not jump into your Google Analytics and check on it twice a day. That will, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you laugh, but people do this all the time. No, I'm, um, that's why I'm laughing. They do. <laughs> people who who know better, people in the industry, they do this all the time, and it's just, um, it'll just make you sad. It'll drive you crazy. It won't make any sense because, um, you know, as I've said before, more in the context of search engine optimization campaigns, but also when we're just looking at overall traffic data for your website, you want to look at long-term trends. So don't look at big spikes. If you see a crazy drop last week, that's not a big deal. You have to look at long-term trends. Unless you're looking at a very specific thing like, I don't know, I made a complete change to my website, I removed a section, I added a blog on there, and I wanted to see specifically on this date, was there any sort of, uh, of a big change or something. But in general, unless you're looking for something very specific like that, you want to look at long-term trends. So check on it, you know, at most once a week, and always try to, um, you can set the date range that you're looking on there, set that date range to something like a month or more, um, so that you can see, okay, overall, in the last 30 days, we've been seeing an average upward trend. And that will allow you to not get distracted with spikes and dips, because those things will happen just naturally and have nothing to do with your website's performance um, or your efforts up there. Um, additionally, yeah, there's, there's a lot more tools that you can do, uh, that you can use outside of Google Analytics. That is just the very beginning. First of all, within the Google Analytics platform, there are several other tools. Um, they're now pushing a lot of extra tools in their um, marketing services platform that sort of extends the uh, capabilities of Google Analytics. Within Get Google Analytics, you can set um, goals and conversions. So specifically on your website, if you have one button that is your, you know, schedule a meeting with me or um, give us a call, whatever that main call to action button you have on there, you can track the clicks of that particular button and call that a goal or call that a conversion. Um, so that can be a very useful, very real metric that you can track. It's not just a vanity metric. It's how many people are actually getting to your primary call to action on your website. So that can be very useful. Um, the other one that I, I'd say is probably a good one to actually be looking at, um, again, in the right context is bounce rate. Um, again, bounce rate is people coming to your if someone comes to your website either by accident or they have a bad experience or something, they're on there for less than a second, then they head out of there, that's a bounce. They bounced off of the website. That rate is always higher than you think it should be because um, 
number one, people do accidentally click on links, especially if you have Facebook uh, or social media links out there, or if you're doing any sort of social media marketing or advertising, people are scrolling through, they accidentally click your thing. It has nothing to do with your ad or your website. They just didn't mean to, and they bounce. There's also um, different automations out there, bots that'll sometimes get picked up on this, where they're just going to the website to check and see if there is a site there or if it's a dead link, a dead URL. So as soon as something starts to load, they bounce. Um, so overall, if you are seeing um, you know, a 50% bounce rate or less, meaning less than half the people that go there are bouncing, then at that point, I think there's probably something wrong with your analytics because it should probably be over that in general. Um, if you're seeing higher than you know, an 80 something percent bounce rate, then you may have a problem to look at. Um, but overall, if you understand the context under which to look at a bounce rate, that can be a very useful metric. Just make sure that you um, do a little bit of research on that and understand what kind of rate you really should be looking at. Otherwise, people look at that bounce rate, they see, you know, 60% and they freak out. Like this is some sort of huge negative. No, that is an industry average um, all over the place in tons of different industries. So just know what you're looking at there. Um, I think I can take this time to move on to my, my second point, my second um, user interface point, and that is kind of two in one, um, scrolling. Tons and tons of scrolling, uh, especially on mobile. If you have a very large, extensive website, people are gonna go on there, it's going to be responsive, so everything's going to kind of smoosh together, and what looks like a normal amount of content on a desktop, all of a sudden people are having to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll before they ever even get to your call to action at the very bottom. Or maybe it's difficult for them to find the point or the section of the website that they're really trying to find. Um, so that kind of leads to the, the second half of this point and that is just keep it simple. I know that you have a bunch of amazing things to say about your business. Your business has a hundred thousand amazing elements that you need to display to the public at all times. <laughs> but when building out a website, you've got to keep uh, things simple. You've got to keep um, your priorities straight and pull someone to your main call to action. You don't want them to just explore your website infinitely for days on end because you have a novel of amazing content. So keep your priorities straight boil things down to just the, the, the basics of your business and pull someone through that user journey, if you will, from landing on your website to learning about you to jumping into a specific product or service they may be interested in to converting. If they're going anywhere outside of that path, then that better be part of a larger strategy. Otherwise, you need to cut it. If you have the words and more anywhere on your website or your marketing, you need to be more focused. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's just a simple tactical test that everybody can apply right now into their brain, into their business. Well, that, yeah, that applies to the, <laughs> I mean, you're saying the copy there as well. This applies to every element of your digital marketing. Right. Make sure to have that, um, you know, exist in your copy as well as the structure of your website. Um, and that kind of, that leads to my last point here and then I'll, I'll wrap this up. We can move on. Um, and that is um, inactive clicks, or um, I saw one recently uh, referring to this as rage clicks. And that is someone clicking on something <laughs> on your website 
Well, I actually ran into this this morning. I was looking at uh, someone's website that was reaching out to me. Um, and I went and just sort of was checking it out. And um, I saw these these blocks that had all of their services on them labeled each. There was a block with a service, block with a service. So I clicked on one thinking that would take me to their service page or give me more information about it. And it was just a picture. So these are elements of a website that look like they should be interactive, that look like they mm -hmm. should be a button or a link or do something, and they're not. Um, and on those, you either want to design it so that it's clearly just an inactive uh, piece of content, you know, listing out your services or something like that, or make it interactive. You can make that into a button, actually um, enter links in your website, um, pages linking to other pages within your website. Um, is is really good for um, SEO. Uh, search engines like to see that sort of interconnectivity, meaning that all of your content is interrelated. Um, and it can be a, a good thing for user experience. If someone is interested in something, they can very easily get to that something from any page on your website because it is all interconnected. So think about adding some of those links in there. And that leads to that kind of final point that, Mike, you were alluding to uh, here uh, just a second ago um, about extending your toolkit. Google Analytics is a great start. It gives you basic traffic data. And if you want to dive all the way into it, you can do a ton with Google Analytics. But um, as I've actually been exploring recently, there's a ton of tools out there for extending your analytics and understanding how people are interacting with your website. Uh, most recently, I've been looking at you know, what you were talking about, heat maps. A heat map um, is where a tool will actually take a screenshot of your website and then it will display where people are clicking. Um, a hot area, it looks like a, a thermal imaging camera. That's why they call it that. So dark spots are where no one is clicking. Hot spots are where people are interacting with a particular element on your website a lot. So hopefully that main point of contact, that main call to action on your website is an immense heat spot. Um, and then that you know long about us section where you wrote your entire life story is probably going to be relatively dark. No one's clicking on that. Um, there's also recordings. Um, there are some tools out there that will actually record users' interactions on a website. Um, so it'll just kind of take a random drawing. If you have 100 people go to your website over the course of a month, it'll take 20 of those randomly throughout the month and record the entire interaction. So you can watch someone land on your website. You can see how long it takes to load. You can see how it looks on their um, on their device because they have a Mac and you're running on a PC and you don't even own a Mac. None of your friends or family have a Mac. You have no idea what this looks like on a Mac. Now you can see what that looks like and what that user, inter uh, that, that user interaction is like. You can watch them scroll through. You can see them click on that thing that they think should, should be interactive, but it's not. Um, and you can kind of catch all of these items that I've been talking about here just by watching a couple of examples of users interacting with your website. I can see we've got a couple of user interactions over here in the comments. Um, if you have any questions or if you have any experience with the things that I'm talking about here, um, you just want to jump in the conversation and throw, uh, throw that all in the comments and we'll respond to it as they come up. Uh, we've got a question about email marketing, Mike. I think you might want to take this. Okay. Um, all right, question is what email open rate should we expect from initial emails to a list? From Mr. Jeff Fry. Good morning, Mr. Fry. Uh, let me ask. Let me ask a qualifying question here. D does he mean uh, initially? Is this is this a cold list? Do these people have any idea who we are, 
or is that what you mean by initially, I guess, but, um, the, you know, the, the, the average open rate, uh, across all industries, I believe is around 18%, somewhere around, you know, 15 to 18%. And I think the average click rate is maybe one and a half, 2%. It, I could be a little off there, but, uh, it, that's generally what it is these days. And so if you're in that range, you know, obviously that's pretty good. Uh, but you know, if this is a really, really cold list, then, you know, honestly, I wouldn't beat myself up if, if I had less than average to start, because that would to be expected, you know, obviously the colder it is, the, uh, the less it's going to be at, at first until some of these people start to open it up, hopefully that they're getting value from it. And so then they're going from cold to warm to hot, you know, in, in terms of our funnel and, and they're going to, you know, hopefully going to keep opening up more and more that we send them. And so, you know, you definitely want to see that number grow over time. If this would have been a list that I've been beating up for a year or two, you know, and I was getting 8% or something like that. Okay. Then yeah, that's an issue. If I just started it up, uh, it, it wouldn't freak me out completely, but, uh, yeah, typically I believe it's around 15, 18%. It does depend on the industry. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm sure you could, you could find some, some specific numbers on exactly your industry that may vary a little bit from that. But, you know, typically if you're getting like something like 20 or 30%, uh, that's outstanding no matter what you're in. Um, so hopefully that answers your question there, Jeff. If not, let me know. Yeah, I think it also kind of depends on on how you're using an email list because email marketing can be used as a it's a it's a big tool um, and there's a a broad array of purposes for that. So, Jeff, I happen to know your um, your business model a little bit more. So, um, if someone is signing up for your email, there's probably a little bit more intent to really. Um, be interested in that email, be interested in the content. Most likely you're putting out a lot of um, very specific niche type value in that email marketing segment. So you might expect a slightly higher email opening rate than someone who is just doing, um, you know, basic sales, you know, um, it, this is someone just putting out sales or promotions or offers in their email list um, where, you know, unless someone is specifically looking for a sale, um, they're probably not going to be opening that quite as much. So it kind of depends on how you're using your email list um, as email marketing is a big tool and you can use it in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And, and I'll just add one more thing to that. You know, if, if you're looking to how can I increase my, my uh, open rate, uh, it's all in the headline. And so play around with your headline, do some research on that. Uh, remember to reverse engineer what the uh, the end consumer the end audience wants and and put that first uh, but also do specific research on your industry and what and in your email provider which i think you're using constant contact but uh there there are also certain trigger words that you want to avoid in your email like free you know is like a pretty general one across most uh most, most situations and so make sure you're doing that if you see that you're your open rate is declining, meaning like, hey, I was getting 30% two months ago, now I'm getting 15, then that means your content needs to come up up a couple notches and, and you're probably doing okay with your with your titles. But that's how you can figure out, you know, how can I improve it and where to where to put my attention 
if that makes sense, Jeff. If not, just let me know. All right. If you guys have any other questions, throw those questions in the comments below. We are live streaming to our Facebook page and YouTube channel, so pick your poison there. Um, if you think we're providing some valuable information, please give us a like, share, follow, subscribe, depending on what platform you're on. Uh, that allows us to reach more people, answer more questions, and be more of a resource, uh, which, which is our goal here. So um, again, if you have any questions, throw those in the comments below and we will get to those as soon as possible. Or if you're catching this later, you're not watching this live, email your questions to askwildman at wildmanweb.com and we'll get to you next week. All right. Hey, Got Miles, before, before, we yes. get into the, before we get into the next question, can I have a little bit of fun here with just some, some news that's popping off in the trades? I guess. Okay. Okay. I guess well, so. I know. I know. At least Jeff. I want. I want to get Jeff's opinion on on what happened here. But what this is. This is maybe the last. Well, I don't want to think about the Super Bowl anymore because it's still giving me like heartburn things like that about what happened in the game. So we're gonna well, have before to you walk. get into that. I want to uh, respond to a comment uh, here. Okay. What kind of questions we're talking? This is a digital marketing agency, so um, we're primarily talking questions about advertising, marketing, technology, uh, business, small business in general. And throw those questions in the comments below. All right, continue. Yes. So yeah. So yeah. So real quick, I'll, I'll make this quick because I, I don't want to dwell on the Super Bowl anymore. But I've, I'm sure everybody probably saw what happened to Jeep. Uh, I think not long after we did we did our show last week, uh, Jeep of course had the Super Bowl ad with uh, with the boss Bruce Springsteen, and then he was arrested for DWI. Uh, you know, shortly after that, I think it was sometime last week, and you know, talk about an influencer nightmare as a brand, you know, I mean, you're, you're an automobile industry and the influence that you've used that you've poured millions and millions of dollars in as a DWI, you know, not that any kind of a crime would have been good, but you know, it was just you know, completely uh, bad timing and, and a bad look. And so Jeep, of course, immediately, you know, got rid of the ad campaign, which basically just washed, you know, all of that investment down the drain and and there and there is some discrepancy. I don't know. I, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but you know there is some discrepancy. I think about why he was arrested and like he wasn't actually drunk, but he was seen taking a shot with a fan. I don't know. But but Miles, I thought I was thinking about what you said last week when we were talking about this ad specifically and how you know to you it was strange to put Bruce Springsteen, who's a mega, obviously superstar in the ad about common people, everyday folk, middle America coming together. And, and so, you know, obviously that whole plan backfired, which, you know, which, you know, hindsight's 2020, but I think what, you know, what Jeep was trying to get across with that, and maybe this is lost on a younger generation, but, you know, back in the eighties and Jeff can back me up on this, you know, the boss was the everyday man. Like, you know, he was obviously a superstar, but he represented the blue collar, you know, steel workers and the people in the automotive plants, you know, and like that whole section of America, like they were his guy, you know? And, and so I, I think maybe that's where that they were going with that. I, obviously, again, it all blew up and, and ended in, in such a disaster, but I think it's something for uh, for brands in general to just take note of because we were talking about influencers. Uh, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, 
you know, and how that's kind of a, a really good organic hack, even a micro influencer uh, on Instagram or something like that for your local small business is something to tap into. But you also just need to realize that you can't control what those people do. Uh, and so, you know, you have to always take that into calculation uh, when, you, when you're making those considerations. So I don't know if Jeff is commenting on the whole boss thing, but I'll give him a minute. But <laughs> and then the other piece of news that I was just going to bring up that was in the trades, I noticed there was an article about Clubhouse. And I don't think that we've beaten this horse to death. We haven't talked about it, I think, in a couple weeks. So I'll just give a quick update. One week. It's been one week. Okay. Miles is keeping, he's keeping me rationed. He's keeping me rationed, but uh, there is a, there is some interesting clubhouse news that's been coming down the pipe and no, I'm not just talking about Elon Musk's bromance with, uh, with, uh, how do you say his name? Kion West, uh, the Kanye. Kanye. Okay. Thank you. You can tell Kion is a pepper. Yeah. You can tell how hip I am. Uh, that they're going to do a clubhouse together. You know, that, that's obviously big news. But on a more serious note, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg came on the app. His wife has been on the app a lot lately. Uh, it came out the other day that Facebook now is also working on a competitor for uh, clubhouse. Uh, Twitter is already doing it. They've gone from a $100 million valuation to now a billion dollar valuation. Uh, the users have gone from 600,000 600, to 2 million over the span of just the last 30 days. And it, it's, it's just literally exploding. And now the article I saw in the trades today was about the parent company of Burger King and Popeye's Chicken has now been engaging on the app. And they're doing some, uh, some branding and some content play and things like that. And so it is really, really quickly scaling. And I think that this whole thing, like we said uh, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about it, it's not specifically about Clubhouse. You know, Clubhouse could become the next Instagram or it be could become the next Vine. You know, we, we don't know that yet, but it's about audio and it's about the audio revolution and what that means and that even small businesses need to be taking this into account. And, you know, I think you should be going on Clubhouse and, and figuring out, you know, how to spend some time there. But even if not, starting a podcast, uh, you know, learning about Alexa skills, you know, it's, it's probably still too early for you to build out your own application on a platform like that. But I don't think it's too early to start learning about it and learning how this whole process is going to happen. So in three to five years, you're ahead of the game. Uh, and so I think, I th you know, I just think it's a complete affirmation of everything we've been talking about miles over the last year or two regarding voice uh, and how important this is coming down the pipeline. So those are just two little quick updates I wanted to get to. We can get back to uh, to building some value and answering some questions now. Yeah, well, it's never too early to start learning about some of this stuff. Um, I think it's important for uh, small business owners or, or business owners of any size to allocate a little bit of time uh, to just looking at what's new um, and, and pouring a little bit of time into um, you know, not working in their business, not even working on their business, but just kind of keeping an eye on what's coming down the pipe um, and and at least having a baseline understanding. You don't actually have to know what you're talking about. You just have to know enough to be dangerous, enough to understand and to catch when other things are coming by you. You know that, uh, I forget what it's called. It has a, uh, an actual 
name to it. But when you learn a new word and all of a sudden you start hearing it all the time, it's not because people just started using this word. It's because now you know it, you start catching it. It's kind of the same idea. When you start looking at these new things, you're going to start noticing some of these things flying around you, some things that you were just ignoring before or just completely missing, going over your head, going behind your back. Um, and all it takes is just uh, the, the smallest amount of awareness. Take a little bit of time in your day and look into what's going on and you'll just start catching these things. Things will start flying your way that you didn't realize were even there. Um, I guess we're, we're tying all the way back to the beginning of the show here. You don't know what you don't know. Um, and the only way to break that cycle is a little bit of education. So always be learning. Um, always be hungry for more. Look for some new stuff. Um, I did want to make one more comment on just your your Jeep uh, thing earlier on the boss. Um, I think that you're right. Um, there's a little bit of a, a generational gap there because I I have never seen him that way. Um, I guess I'm I'm a little bit younger than you, not not that much, but somewhere in there, somewhere in between our generations, there's a divide as to the um, the image of this particular person. Um, DWI aside, that's unfortunate. <laughs> I actually hadn't seen that. That's a, that's that's rough, Jeep. Right. Anyway, when um, you say the when you say the boss to me, Miles, I think back to the cover of Born in the USA that I had on cassette tape. You know that I wore out in the 1980s. You probably think of him as an A-list Hollywood, you know, star. Exactly. Yeah. So, but that's why it's important on um, the testing that we we're talking about doing a B testing, doing audience segmentation, yeah. tying back to your email marketing um, earlier, you were talking about changing the, uh, the, um, I guess the, the headline of the whole thing that that first line of your email, not just the subject line, but that first line, because people can see that in most email clients as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. Um, and that's a, uh, an opportunity for a B testing where if you can just artificially segment out your audience, even if there's no difference in between them, randomly throw people on one side to the other and try two different um, content lines, two different subject lines on on the same email, send it out and see if there's a difference in uh, opening rate. See if there's a difference in conversion. Um, that kind of testing is super important. And if you can segment your audience out on something that's um, meaningful, uh, for example, age, um, maybe you want to segment it out on gender, maybe you want to segment it out on how people found you, if they found you organically or through one of your ads, um, however you want to do it, if you can segment your audience out in some sort of meaningful way and then do A-B testing in between those different things, mm -hmm. um, then you're going to start seeing a much higher conversion rate by um, you know, just being able to understand how these differing personalities engage with your business, your brand, and your content. Definitely, Miles. And I think this transitions really well in, into some questions that we've got lately about uh, how to listen to your customer basically and and you know and how to find out what they really want i mean part of it is testing what we put out you know in in making sure that we are a b testing stuff we are you know gathering the data on that and evaluating it you know let the market decide what is the, what is right you know we talk about this a lot in terms of content creation that a lot of times we get we get you know really internalized in deciding internally what's a good piece of content and we just need to put out more pieces of content and let the marketplace decide. Uh, but I think this really goes into, into uh, social listening and, and customer listening and how that is also such an important part and how that, that needs to be an exercise and a skill that we're all deploying in our business, even before we start speaking 
or putting out content. You know, the old cliche, two ears, one mouth is correct, you know, and two eyes as well. We need to be listening and watching twice as much as we're speaking um, and, and really, really focusing on watching and listening our audience and our end consumers. Uh, and so I, I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, the tools that, that we have and, and, and other agencies, you know, use to help businesses do that. But you know, I just also want to set the table a little bit because this goes back to all the idea of the small business person's disease that we talk about a lot, where they're on the inside of the bottle and they're trying to read the label that's on the outside. And it's a really, really important thing. And Miles, I was, I got some credence for this just, just the other day. I was, I was finishing up a book about Claude, uh, written by Claude Hopkins. It's kind of an autobiography. It's, it's called my life in advertising. And he was, uh, he was one of the old school, original copywriting, I guess now they'd call him a guru, but you know, an expert. And, uh, you know, he built brands like Bissell and Michelin tires. And, you know, this is going back a hundred years when this guy was in his heyday. And this, this book is, is old, you know, it was published almost a hundred years ago, but some of these same exact principles are exactly what he's talking about in this book. And one of the big things that he talks about back then that's still true today is this concept of the small business person disease and how they are uniquely unqualified to actually make the decisions about how their business is perceived and the messaging that their, that their audience wants. And that that's why they need, you know, advertising professionals, basically. And that's the job of the advertising professional, you know, is to basically be that mediator between the audience and the owner uh, and, and to steer that ship. So I'm, I'm, I'm digressing here a little bit, but, you know, but, but the point I think is, you know, going again, going back to what, you know, we don't know what we don't know uh, is that, you know, we have to have those outside, that outside communication and be paying more attention to that and filtering that stuff internally and then reverse engineering it and putting out content. Uh, but I'll let you take it from there, Miles. Well, I agree with everything that you, you, you threw out there. Um, I guess, was there anything in specific that you wanted me to, to make a note on? You kind of, you, you had a lot <laughs> so, of big points there. I could spend a half hour talking about. So I, I just wanted you to really talk about, you know, social listening, uh, listening and yes. you know, how, how, what are some tools, that any business owner right now in America can listen uh, or just, I guess, gauge the room, uh, the, excuse me, the temperature of the room with their audience uh, yeah. and really find out what their audience wants. And I, and I, I want to, you know, just kind of drone on that point of the audience, because another thing I think that gets a lot of uh, confusion here with small businesses is they also focus on their comp the competition and their competitors. And we can debate this, Miles, and, and I've seen people argue it both ways. I've seen people say, people way more successful than me, say that you, you need to know everything about your competitors and you need to know, you know what shoe size they wear. And I don't believe that. I think that that's largely a waste of time that you need to focus on your audience and delivering that. And I and personally, I just tune out. I don't know what the hell our competitors are doing, you know, but that, that's me personally. But I think there can be an argument either way. But, you know, to me is how can I find out what my end consumer really wants and then reverse engineer my messaging and my content and my whole business around that? Yeah, generally speaking, uh, now is an amazing time just as far as getting information on your on your customer base. It used to be so difficult to know what they were thinking, what they were saying. Um, and now, 
people are screaming it from the rooftops, basically, when it comes to social media and their online presence as a whole. Um, there are a couple of key places where you're going to want to look to um, to catch your what your audience is saying, not only about you, but about your industry and about where they're at. Social media is always um, a it's it's an obvious one. So wherever you have a not insignificant social media presence, you're going to want to keep an eye on things there. Um, but it can be a little bit overwhelming. Uh, there's a lot of noise on social media. There's a lot of things not your business happening on social media. Even if you're looking at the right audience, even if you're looking at a captured audience, you know, in a, a, a Facebook group or something like that, that is industry specific or even specific to your specific business because you've taken our advice and started a Facebook group. Um, there's a lot of noise there. So you want to use some tools um, for social listening. And we've talked about this before. Um, we have our own tool here at Wildman, but there are tools out there. The keyword you're going to want to look for is social listening. This is specifically setting up keyword searches on um, social media. Twitter is the easiest one. And most of the tools that you're looking at are going to be looking at Twitter. Um, just because the data is a little bit more finite there. It's really just text-based stuff. There's less images involved. There's less metadata. So searching is easier. You're going to get more reliable stuff. But you'll set up a particular keyword search. Um, usually within a particular area, you can set um, a, a geofence around a 25-mile radius of your business or whatever you want to do and say, whenever someone tweets about this, whenever they mention XYZ product service, notify me. And then you can either get a full report of uh, people talking about this so you can see how active your audience is talking about a particular uh, bit of subject matter or a keyword set. Or even more interestingly, you can get a live update so that when someone tweets about your product or service within a particular uh, radius of your business, you can hop on Twitter and respond to them directly and immediately. If someone says, man, I'd kill for a burger right now. You can tweet back, cool, come in and I'll give you 5% off. I can see you're within 10 miles, so come on, come come to my place right now and I'll give you a discount. You know, little things like that not only resonate with that specific person, clearly they're going to be grateful and, and possibly even engage with your business, but even if they don't, and even barring that direct interaction, other people are going to see it because mm -hmm. this is the town square. This is public communication. Um, other people, their friends, other people in that community are going to see that active engagement and they're going to weigh that much heavier than if they say saw an ad for your business. Because yeah. instead of saying, hey, buy my stuff, I've clearly paid money, put this message in front of you saying, buy my stuff. You're saying, I'm doing this thing over here and people are just organically noticing this awesome thing that I'm doing over here. That type of organic engagement is priceless. And it's something that you can do just by engaging with people on the social media platform of your choice. Um, and utilizing something like social listening um, to engage more opportunistically with things that are relevant to you, your business, or your industry can make it just a little bit easier um, and more efficient so that the effort that you're putting into your social media presence um, is, is more effective, more efficient, and giving you more bang for your buck. You can do the same thing on the other end here, and then I'll, I'll shut up here on this, but um, reviews. Reviews are the other uh, source of customer engagement that is just, it's just free and it's just happening and no one is touching it for some reason. Um, when we're engaging with people online, whether it's through uh, paid reach or through organic content, what we're trying to do is engage with our audience. 
We're trying to do something that strikes up a conversation that creates some sort of back and forth because that intention or that attention and that engagement is the currency of the land nowadays. When someone leaves you a review, that's, that's just them coming to you and giving them their, or giving you their engagement on a silver platter. All you have to do is take it. That can be a positive review, a negative review, or anything in between. All you have to do is engage with that in some way. And again, you are not only endearing yourself to that customer by either thanking them for the positive review or negating some sort of negative review in some way, um, but you're also doing that in a public square. People are going to see that, and especially on something like Google or Facebook, when someone searches for you, your reviews are some of the first things that they see of your business before they see your website, before they see your products or services. They're going to see your name, your address, and your reviews are right there at the top. So if you can use that opportunity to engage with someone and make that a positive interaction, that is priceless. And there are plenty of tools out there to help you do that. So we're coming up on an hour here. I do want to grab one more question from the comments here. Um, I see one that is kind of hitting on something that we don't talk about a whole lot. Usually we're talking to established businesses. But here we have a question asking, um, how can we start a business with less money? I know that's kind of hitting on something that we've talked about uh, before, that is the golden age for small businesses. You've talked about it as, uh, as something that's passing. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but especially during the pandemic, now is the time, potentially better than, than all times before this, to start an online business. Brick and mortar businesses, tough as hell right now. So careful with that. But if you have you know, little to no money, you want to start a business, maybe you just want to start a side hustle um, and see where it goes. We do have a couple of tips and tricks on that. First, you know, do something online only. Don't worry about renting the office space just yet. There are tons of businesses that you can start online for little to nothing. Um, you can start e-commerce businesses up there, look into drop shipping or affiliate marketing, where you don't have to even worry about having any products um, or any, uh, an, any merchandise. You don't have to worry about storing inventory or shipping or fulfillment or anything. Drop shipping takes care of all of that. Affiliate marketing takes you out of that line entirely where you're just selling someone else's product. Then all you have to do is create what I was just talking about, attention, engagement. So it all falls down to content creation. In that line, I would say, pick something that you know a lot about, something that you love, something you're passionate about um, that you can just sit and talk about for hours on end unprompted. So then all you have to do is put up a website um, where there are plenty of tools out there where you can build something yourself if you have some technical capability or talk to a digital marketing agency like us and get something built for you. Um, all you need is a domain for like 12 bucks a year, a little bit, uh, so probably some hosting fees and then upfront development fee if you're getting a website done for you. Then just start putting up content, pair that with your social media, um, start putting up something valuable, build engagement, build a community, and then push them to your affiliate marketing links, push them to your e-commerce store where you're selling something via drop shipping. Um, that's probably the quickest, easiest, lowest cost business that you can start from scratch for little to nothing. Um, and, and it really does have a, a great place in business today. Yeah. Great points, Miles. And, and, and great, great question. I mean, I, I think even, I think even established businesses are, are always trying to figure out 
how could even how can I scale, you know, with, with less money? Uh, you know, the two biggest costs that we're going to have in business, or I guess, you know, maybe the three biggest costs, you know, if you have any, of course, you know, physical inventory or anything like that, uh, that, that you need to, uh, to purchase ahead of time. And Miles talked about drop shipping. You know, that can be a, a really great way to do that and cut down your costs, uh, you know, uh, marketing or, you know, getting attention. Uh, can be the most expensive thing. And for a lot of businesses, it is. And so, you know, what I would focus on, especially when you're, when you're starting out, is don't overvalue reach, meaning don't try to reach too many people. Uh, focus on reaching only a small amount of people, and, but focus on converting those people all the way down through your buying funnel. You know, we always say we'd rather uh, move 10% of the audience 100% of the way than 100% of the audience, 10% of the way. And a big mistake that a lot of small businesses and a lot of solo entrepreneurs and, uh, and, and startups make is they come out of the gate trying to reach too many people and that costs way too much money. And you know, the other thing that can be really expensive are, are people, are, are hiring people. Uh, you know, people in process though, are the two things that when you figure those out, that's how you're going to be able to scale. And that's how you're going to be able to 10 X your business quickly and, and just, you know, take it multiples and multiples higher than where you're at. So one way though, that you can make people more cost effective is, you know, first thing is don't try to do everything yourself. That's a big mistake is people think, okay, I can't afford people. And so I have to do everything myself. Bad idea. Make partnerships, uh, create teams, uh, you know, create mutual beneficial, you know, relationships where you can partner with other people that will help you grow your business and in you turn, you know, can help them with something they need, you know, so find something that you, you need to basically outsource that somebody else is good at and that they need to outsource that you're good at and build a relationship with those, those kinds of people. Uh, and that, and that's a way to really kind of to hack it and, uh, and, and, you know, grow something from nothing is I think I'm really big believer in, in forming those relationships and, uh, and creating a team that you can rely on, uh, even if it's not, you know, in-house personnel, because that's really expensive. So I'm not talking about, you know, going out and, and hiring people, but the other factor that you also have to realize that I think a lot of small businesses, uh, a mistake they make is they see people as a cost and not an investment. So, you know, also don't wait too long uh, to hire your people and bring things in-house. But if there's a follow-up question uh, to that, I'd, I'd love to hear it. But uh, great question. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I think in general, we end up speaking a lot to existing businesses um, and, and helping them with their existing issues. But maybe we should make a point to throw in a couple of um, elements for startups because we do work with startups all the time. Uh, you know, people mm -hmm. just getting up and going. I think we have... Uh, two or three that we're working with right now at this moment, just people just getting up and going um, with either new online businesses or businesses that they kind of had before that they're now really good getting into full swing on. And as you said, a lot of these strategies for new businesses can be equally applicable to existing businesses when they're trying to grow, scale, or especially with this last year, open up some new channels of revenue. Um, you know, it's, it's the same kind of ideas, the same questions asked. So, you know, Thank you for that question. Maybe we should uh, we should try to have a little bit more content for the new entrepreneurs up there as well moving forward. 
But we are coming up on an hour here, so I think we're probably going to wrap up for the day. Check back in next Wednesday. We'll be live stream again to our Facebook page or YouTube channel. And if you have any questions or if you got anything here that we didn't get to, I see a bunch of comments over here. If there's anything we didn't get to, email us at askwildman at wildmanweb.com, and we will get back to you either via email or on our show next week, Wednesday at 11. All right, Mike, thank you very much. Any closing comments for the beautiful people? I appreciate everybody uh, watching today and, um, and and the questions that we got. Yeah, if you got any value of this, uh, please like, share, and keep the comments coming. Uh, you can also check us out online at Wildman Web, uh, wherever you may find us. And everybody have a safe, prosperous week. We'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right, like I said, we'll be streaming streaming live next Wednesday at 11. That's central time, by the way. Um, if you want to check back in there, email us questions at askwildman at wildmanweb.com or just visit our website, wildmanweb.com. We've got a bunch of tools and resources up there, uh, free and low-cost stuff, and we also do free consultations. So uh, check us out there, and we will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Ask Wildman. Send us a question for next week's show at askwildman at wildmanweb.com.